Gentlemen, what's going on? Welcome to the Becoming Men podcast brought to you by thebecomingmen.com. I am your host, Ray De La Nues, and this is the podcast for men on their masculine journey. Today, I'm going to introduce you to not one, but two awesome guests. And my first guest is going to be my co-host for today, Mr. Kyle Hughes. Kyle, what's going on, my friend? Man, Ray, how is it going, my friend? How are you guys doing out there? Brother, everything is good on my end. And I do have to say thank you for introducing me to our next guest. You sent me some of his videos and I just went crazy binge watching them. And guys, our next guest is actually the host and the founder of Active Self-Protection. Now, if you guys don't know what that is, that's okay. That's what I'm here for. And you are welcome. You're definitely going to want to go check this out. This YouTube channel has over 2.3 million subscribers and it gets more than tens of millions of downloads a month. And it is for a reason. It literally speaks for itself. He helps people like you to develop the attitude, the skills, and the plans to be able to cover and protect yourself and your family. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about self-defense, the skills, the mindset, situational awareness, and even going at it from the, from a Christian perspective, like what does it look like to want to defend yourself, defend your household and actually cause damage, right? Using a weapon or whatever it is to somebody else's life who is actually threatening your life or the life of those whom you care about. So guys, without further ado, our next guest, Mr. John Correa. John, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. My name is John Correa, and I am the founder and owner of a company called Active Self Protection. I run the most watched YouTube channel in the world in the self-defense and firearms related space. Uh, I teach self-defense. I teach firearms. Um, and uh, my background, so my first big boy job, my first adult job was in the United States Navy. I made hot water the hard way at Uncle Sam's Canoe Club for eight years. Uh, had a really weird Navy career, eight years in the Navy and seven days at sea. Um And, uh, when I got out, I went to seminary and I pastored a church for 14 years, uh, two different churches, one for three and a half and one for 10 and a half. And then, uh, in 2011, I founded active self-protection as a side hustle. And, uh, in 2017, that became my full-time job. And then in 2018, my solo job. So, uh, now I, and my staff, we travel the country teaching self-defense and, uh, some focus on firearms, but empty handed as well. And uh, run a couple of YouTube channels and uh, a social media empire, which sounds stupid to say, but it is what it is. And, That's exactly uh, what it is, my friend. And I'm going to go ahead and make <laughs> sure for anybody that doesn't make it to the end of the episode, I, I don't like when people kind of do the little plugs at the end. Please let everybody know where they can find you, uh, where they can find your stuff, and how to get a hold of you. Yeah, two YouTube channels. Active Self Protection is the first one. Uh, and the second one is Active Self Protection Extra. That's all my teaching material that's not the daily videos. So the, the big channel has about 1.65 million subscribers today. And um, on there, people send me real life surveillance videos of armed robberies, carjackings, muggings, home invasions. Um, we do badge cams as well. And we do after action reviews on them. And I learned that after action review in the Navy. In fact, you know, when I was in uh, nuclear reactors, if, if anything went wrong on a reactor, we wrote everything up. We interviewed everybody. We figured out what went wrong, why it went wrong, how it could be better. And we propagated that to the entire fleet so that everybody got that lesson. And so we didn't have to repeat lessons again and again, personally. Um, And so that's what I do on the big channel. The second channel, Active Self-Protection Extra. Uh, I teach seven days a week on that channel, handgun skills, empty-handed skills, moral and legal self-defense, gear reviews, stuff like that. And then uh, you can find us on Facebook at Active Self-Protection as well. I have a public figure page. Um, as well, if you just look up John Korea, uh, you'll find me there. I post uh, daily devotionals there and uh, pictures of my cats mostly. <laughs> 
Awesome. Great combination, man. Cats, guns, and, and your life, brother. I mean, what else is there? Uh, so there's so much to dive into in a conversation with you, but I do just want to say to our listeners, if you go ahead and head over there and just watch some of these videos, just know you will be stuck for about an hour or two. Kyle, am I right? Oh, at a minimum, at least two hours. Right. Uh, it's what puts me to sleep every night. And when I wake up to it at seven o'clock every morning, <laughs> I am still trying to be the first person to watch a video. I have my alarm set and uh, I think I've been about 20 first, but uh, <laughs> I've worked to knock off the other 20 and get there first. Every day of the week at 7 a.m. if you want to catch those videos. I think we should start off the podcast and this conversation maybe with a scenario, and I hope I don't catch you off your feet, a scenario that maybe that you've gone through that really depicts the importance of what you teach and what you're doing at ASP. I'll clean this up a little bit because uh, there was some foul language in it, but uh, my middle daughter uh, and I were out uh, driving because she was having a rough night and wanted to go for a ride. I drive a muscle car. She likes the um, exhaust on it. So we went out and she's like, Hey Bob, can we get a slushy? So we went and got a slushy and we were um, on our way out from the slushy. And this guy had cut in line in front of us when we were paying and then couldn't finish his transaction. He um, like didn't have his cash on him or something. So we got mad and tossed the stuff to the clerk and then walked out. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. We finished paying. And as we were walking out, we were walking through uh, past his parking spot and he peeled back, like, you know, peeled tires and peeled rubber. And so I put my hand out, told my daughter, hold up. And, and I just waved him through, go ahead, bro. You, you know, you go. And he looked out the passenger side window at me and he said, man, F you. But of course he didn't say F you, you know, and he said the F word like really loud. And my daughter was like, Oh no. And I looked at him and of course I'm a self-defender, right? So I had no C spray on me. I had a full size handgun on me. I, I have a high level of skill. And so I just looked at him and, and I said, just in my head very quickly, if that guy comes out of that car, he's going to get a snoot full of jerk sauce. If he comes out with anything in his hands, he's going to get a gun put on him and and might get shot. But out my mouth, I said, dude, you're totally right, man. F me. I'm so sorry. And so then the guy peeled out and left. And uh, my daughter was like, dude, what was wrong with that guy? I was like, I don't know. He's having a bad day or something. The funny part of that is as we were walking to the car, there was a couple guys pulling their motorcycles up. And the one of them looked at me and was like, hey, you're the ass guy, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, man, that's me. And he was like, man, that guy, guy didn't know who he was messing with. And I was like, ah, man, it's all good. Everybody just gets to go home at the end of the day. I hope he has a better day and you guys keep it shiny side up. And we, we moved on. So, you know, just learning wow. to go. I don't, you don't have to accept the invite exactly. to every fight you're invited to. Exactly. And you know what? That's a great story uh, to depict maybe what you're doing, because really it shows this escalation of force that you have already in your mind. You didn't say, Hey, if that guy gets out of the car, he's, he's about to get a gun in his mouth, right? You, you have pepper spray, right? If then you have a guy, if he comes out with something else, you know, then you're going to meet him with equal or greater force, but you're not doing this thing where you're kind of just walking around thinking, Hey, I'm that ASP guy. And I will shoot anybody who comes at me. And I, I think that's such an important lesson uh, that people don't get. And you're doing such a good job at teaching that. Um, so I want to know, um, first of all, how do you teach a man that has no experience, no uh, aggressiveness inside of him to be aware of something like this, to have that understanding that you have? You know, I do think at some level, most men have a competitive fire, you know, uh, most men measure themselves against other men. And so that starts when we're kids and we're playing t-ball or even if we're not, you know, we're playing with other kids out in the street or, you know, we're wrestling dad or something like that. So most, most guys are competitive. And, um, one of the big things that we do with the real channels, we show what real life criminal violence looks like. And so it's one of my ministries is to just show on the channel. This is what it really looks like. Are you prepared for this? Um, 
and it's not what the movies show you and it's not what a lot of martial arts teach quite frankly and um and so you know i just try to say hey listen you don't have any exposure to that it's okay to be a beginner uh, we all were a beginner. I remember my first martial arts class in 2006 and I show up and they loaned me this little perfect white gi and my little perfect white belt. And I show up and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Like I'm, I'm a rank beginner. You know, I felt like Ricky Bobby, right? I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> uh, but, but you show up and you uh, got to be willing to be a beginner, you know, and then just wade in and get after it. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that just exposure, right? You're, you're saying, hey, just be a beginner and just go through this process and exposure does so much. And and I think I have to thank the Marine Corps for this because our martial arts program is not top notch. All right. I'm a black it's very belt. Entry level, yes, right? it's very yeah. right. I'm a black belt in McMap. You know, that's our Marine Corps martial arts program. And I'm also a blue belt in jujitsu, right? And I know more as a high-end white belt in jujitsu than I do as a black belt in McMap. But what it did is it introduced me to to my body. It introduced me to a, holding a weapon and having somebody come at me. And I think sometimes just having that exposure helps. What do you think about that? Oh, dude, I totally. So I've got 14 years of martial arts study now. Right. And last year, in fact, this week, last year, uh, I got promoted to a second degree black belt after 13 years of study in my art, which is a, a derivative of Kempo known as Umas. And uh, I told my teacher, I was like, look, we have an incredibly high level jujitsu player and a coach at the school who teaches a couple days a week uh, in a jujitsu club. And I'm just going to go slide over there and roll for a year and see what I find. Right. And so I've been rolling jujitsu for a year. I am a one stripe white belt, as you probably know, you know, a year of jujitsu gets you like a stripe, maybe two, if you're really kicking butt. Right. And, uh, man, that first jujitsu class, dude, after 13 years in a stand-up art, like, I'm like, okay, this is a totally different world. And this kid who was like 20 years old and like 60 pounds lighter than me, twisted me up like a freaking pretzel. That's how it goes. And I'm man. like, yeah. Right. So I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to learn some things. Cool. I'm pretty good at this martial arts thing. And then, you know, tap, tap, tap. And you learn humility real fast. That's right. If anything, <laughs> you that's learn, what you're walking out with. I had lesson on humility. But you also learn resilience there. You also learn. I mean, one of the big things I've learned is I've been in some really bad spots and you learn pretty quick. Like, okay, this sucks, but I'm okay. Like I'm not, I'm not there. He hasn't got it yet. Can I find some space here? Can I find a way to survive this? And that resilience that you learn, that you only learn through pressure testing, in my opinion, yeah. um, is, is so incredibly valuable. And I, I tell people all the time, I say it on the channel, I'm like, look, man, I think your average jujitsu blue belt can, in, a, in an average street fight, handle 99.9% .9 of people. As long as his or her jujitsu school does a little bit of striking, a little bit of stand-up, a little bit of judo, you know what I mean, for some throws and stuff like that. Um, and, and as long as they've got that kind of base, they're probably so far ahead just because mentally they can stay in a fight when they're hurting. Yeah. So if anything, guys, just if you're getting anything out of this, it's get exposed at the very least get exposed. And here's an, another thing I want to throw at you, John. I was reading a, uh, a book uh, talking about the Korean war and he quoted Dwight D. Eisenhower and he said, uh, plans are nothing. Planning is everything. 
Again, that's plans are nothing. Planning is everything. Because if if you follow the reasoning that that as soon as you, uh, you can set out with a plan, right? You can have a good plan. But as soon as you get contact from the enemy, that plan goes out the window. That plan can only get you to the first contact and then you kind of have to go at it. But what planning does is it gets you thinking about the things you might have not thought about if you didn't do it anyways. So I feel like what you're doing on your channel and what you do with ASP is, is a lot of that. You're kind of showing people, Hey, are you going on vacation? You know, today's video that you released in Thailand, maybe you're traveling outside of the country. You might want to think about some of these things. Hey, do you have a dog? Uh, you might want to think about this, or do you like to do this? Or have you ever found yourself in this predicament? You might want to think about that. Think about this. And, and you do that well. And you, you have those three, um, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know them off the top of my head, but the three things that you're doing, uh, teaching it's, plans, skills, and what else? So, so we say ASP, active self-protection stands for attitude first and then skills and then plan. So uh, we always say the foundation of all self-defense is attitude that uh, if you are, uh, if you have a, an attitude that says I have the right to defend myself, no one has a right to hurt me and I have the right to defend my boundaries, then that does far more than anything else. Um, next is a skill set. You can have all the attitude in the world, but if you don't have the skills to back them up, then you got nothing. And then the plan and the planning, like you say, is that last one when I have my preset boundaries that I know, hey, listen, when this happens, you know, these are my boundaries that I'm going to take these steps. And uh, if you have those three, man, you're pretty tough to beat. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of us walk around just because, especially because we're in America, we walk around with this idea that we're safe. Everything's good. Uh, we're protected. I, I think even Christians fall into uh, this trap more. Uh, and, I, and I say this because we have an understanding and an idea that God is protecting us. And we know that, right? And we want to live in that because Christ is abiding in us and, and we abide in him. So we don't want to kind of think like, well, I don't need, you know, I have to protect myself. No, Christ is protecting me. So there's this weird balance, right? And I, I just want to kind of inject a little personal story uh, of a time that I was not, I didn't have a plan. I was not prepared. I had no exposure. Um, and I just knew, okay, God needs to be protecting me right now, but I really ended up in a bad situation. Um, and maybe we can talk about the dichotomy here, but I found myself in Dominican Republic, third world country. It's my home country. Uh, but I was visiting, I was already a man. I was 18 years old and I was out in the streets. And what's funny was that that night, uh, my cousin said, Hey, you guys look so alike. He's pointing to his friend that's out with us. You guys look so alike. We're wearing the same colored shirt. We're both wearing button ups and we're both, but the same build, same height. Well, um, I'm walking and out of nowhere, these guys come past me in a motorcycle. The guy in the back jumps off, comes right up to me with a gun in my face, points it at me. And he's telling me to do whatever sign it was, you know, whatever gang sign to go ahead and do it again. And, uh, everybody else around me is saying, no, 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 no. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Now I've wrestled in college at this point. Right. So I, I, I know how to defend myself, but when it comes to fight or flight in that situation, I froze. And I'm just sitting there and everything goes slow. Everybody's just begging for my life. And the guy goes, goes ahead and fires the gun. God was protecting me, right? The gun didn't fire and the guy looked nervous. So what he did is he backed up knowing that there was something wrong with the, with the, with the gun and he was trying to address it. By that point, he backed up enough because he knows now there's four guys right in front of him. He hops back on the motorcycle and they take off. Well, what ended up happening is that the guy who looked like me was throwing gang signs up and cursed him off when that guy drove by. He mistook, mistook me for him. Now in that situation, I, I know God is protecting me. God is protecting me. So why do I need to learn self-defense? But 
then I also need to defend myself in case there's, you know, cause there's evil in the world. Can you please talk about the dichotomy? You know, I, I think that to me, God uses means and not just ends, you know? And, and I, I think that, uh, I go back to things like, and, and I don't, you know, I know everybody's got their, their favorite pet verses or whatever, but for self-defense, you know, I go back to Luke twenty two thirty six 36 and Luke eleven twenty one. 21, uh, that in Luke eleven twenty one, Jesus uses a, 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 an aphorism, a popular saying that everybody would accept. Uh, and he says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. And, and now he's using that in a spiritual sense to say, wait a minute, but I'm the one who's the protector, right? So, but, but they would all accept that. Like, look, man, when you're protecting your house and you're fully armed, you're safe. Okay, fine. And then in Luke 22, 36, you know, he looks at his disciples and he's like, hey, when I sent you out in Luke 9 and I told you, don't take anything. Like, I don't want you to take any provision. I just want you to totally trust in me. Did you lack anything? And they were like, no, Lord, we were good, man. You had us. And he said, okay, now this time I'm telling you, I want you to take a money sack. I want you to take a, a spare set of shoes. And I want the one who does not have a sword to sell his cloak and buy one. And so in their gear list included a means of self-defense. And that was the Roman Machaira. That was not, uh, it wasn't a hunting implement. It wasn't a cooking knife. That was the, the short sword, the, the gladius that the Roman soldier carried into battle. And it was the common weapon of the everyday soldier. And so he wanted them to have it. Now they said, we don't all have them, Lord. We've only got two of them. And he's like, well, I mean, that's enough. I guess that's you know better than nothing. And uh, sent them off there. Now we don't have any indication that any of the apostles ever had to defend themselves from brigands. Um, but we don't have any knowledge that they didn't either. So right. it's a, it's a, just an open spot. So, I mean, I, I think that God uses means and not just ends. And in that same way that as Christian men, you know, God, we, we say God is sovereign, you know what I mean? And he won't lose any who are his. That's what Jesus says in John six. And yet he still tells you and I to go out and share the faith and go out and make disciples. Well, why? Because he ordains the means and not just the ends. Yeah. And so for me to protect myself is part of God's plan of just, and again, self-defense is not aggression. Self-defense is boundary enforcement. No one has the right to harm me. And, and they know that just like I know that. And I have the right to enforce that boundary. Yeah. I got a uh, Proverbs 21, 31 uh, comes to mind. It says the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. And I, I think just exactly what you're saying here, it's, the horse is still being made ready. You still yeah. have a part in getting, getting uh, the means ready. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. The victory does belong to the Lord. Um, that doesn't you know, mean you George don't prepare. Patton say, you know, God gets his part, you know, we plan and we prepare, but you know, there's this other part that God gets his part. And um, that's the difference between victory and defeat. Amen. What do you think, Kyle? You know, actually I'm reminded of exactly that in my own life, probably, three or four months ago, right? You can attest to this because I called you when it happened, but um, my daughter had a seizure and stopped breathing. And, uh, you know, she was pretty much dead. And I was praying, I was crying out like, Lord, save my daughter, you know, save my daughter. And it required me doing CPR on her, you know? And so I had to do CPR on my own daughter um, while she was laying there completely limp, no breath, nothing like that. But God saved her. He also prepared me to help save her. And so I think that that's important that when we go into whatever we're doing, that we have, again, that attitude, that preparation, we have that skill set that we can be used by God to do what God's asked us to do. You notice that like when, when Jesus prayed for people to be raised from the dead, like he commanded them to do it, to be raised from the dead. Right. He also had, um, ah, geez, I just drew a blank on 
but he, other people in the Bible have prayed for people to be risen and they're risen. God rose them through the person that prayed for him. Yeah. Right? Miracles happen because disciples were obedient and because people were obedient to the call that God had for them. Right. God could heal somebody, but he also asked you to pray for somebody to get healed. And so it takes action. It takes preparation and it takes a plan. Uh, just like John's talking about, just like you're talking about. And if that hadn't happened in my life, who knows what would have happened to my daughter. So I think that you're right on the, right on the money there with you know, needing to have a preparation for the worst case scenario. So that way God can use his plan through you. Yeah. That's a really good point, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that. That was a very scary time. I remember uh, you describing how blue she was. Um, and yeah, thank God that you just happened to know the skills. I remember uh, when my my daughter was born, uh, one of the first things I did was I went and bought a truck. And this was uh, one of the videos that, that Kyle just showed me it was like a perfect description of why I bought a truck. I just didn't have language for it, but I knew I just wanted to be more prepared than driving an Impala. I recently saw a video of a guy who was being, who was uh, cut off by a motorcycle and they tried to trap him in and he tried to run over the motorcycle and got stuck because he was in a little, you know, Corolla looking car. Um, and, and yeah, just something as simple as I drive a Suburban that is a four wheel drive Suburban for my family of five, because that is the vehicle I feel safer. And that is the vehicle I would much rather uh, be in any kind of situation with than, than anything else. That's a, a very simple thing, but very practical and real. What do you think, John? As a general rule, ground clearance and horsepower win. You know, uh, I mean, if you've got a high ground clearance vehicle with high horsepower, you can solve an awful lot of problems. I drove a truck for a number of years. Uh, and, you know, we always used to joke that when you have ground clearance, curbs are suggestions. And, uh, you know, they're requests. Yeah, good and, point. and I ignored those requests many times. I would always annoy my wife. Like, you know, we'd go to school functions, there'd be no parking spots. And I'm like, well, right yep. up here on this grassy part, that's a parking spot. There you go. And she's like, that's not a parking spot. I was like, it is now, you know, let's go, whatever. What are they going to do? Tell me from there. Nobody can get in there. Right. Um, and, and now I drive a car that has a much lower ground clearance. But uh, I totally agree with you that. You know, if you got ground clearance, you got options, man. Yeah. Yeah. So how old are your children? Um, I have four kids. My oldest is 22. I have 22, 20, uh, 17 and 14. So mine are a little bit older now. We have two at home still. My oldest two are both married and grown and out on their own. Uh, my son, uh, who's 20, is actually a veteran and uh, going to welding school now. My daughter-in-law, his wife, is uh, on active duty and deployed right now. Uh, and she's on the Ike, the USS Eisenhower, making okay. hot water the hard way, like her father-in-law used to. <laughs> and, uh, um, so, you know, she's on the Ike and deployments suck. And so, you know, pray for her. Yeah. But, uh, um, so yeah, we've got two kids at home. My son lives in Norfolk, uh, where he and his wife are. And, uh, my daughter and her husband live, uh, just a couple miles from us. And, and I always said I was going to write a parenting book until I had teenagers. And then I repented of my sin of arrogance. And I have no wow. idea how to parent anyone's children's, let alone mine. You are speaking to me right now. I think I got to figure it out. And then they change every <laughs> six months. I got a five-year-old, oh, yeah. a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. I thought I figured it out. And I'm like, no, I didn't map out this territory. I'm, I'm just going to say that I'm 100% certain that parenting books are written by people that think they solved the problem, not realizing their kids just moved out of that phase. Yeah, I'm 100% convinced that nobody actually figured out the answer to the problem. Their kids just grew out of it. And they're like, yeah, yeah no, I figured it out. It was great. Yeah. Right, right. Well, or sometimes, you know, we've had children that were uh, very obedient and very, you know, uh, uh, wanted to listen. And we've had a couple, uh, a couple of our kids who have really struggled. And, you know, if you get to raise two, three, four uh, kids who are, are obedient on the spectrum and, and will listen to it. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you don't get to get that. And, and 
I know I was just an absolute terror when I was a teenager. Uh, and I still turned into a reasonably functional human being as an adult. So, you know, it's okay. Yeah. So, so I asked about your children because I want to know, um, what that looked like having this awareness of self-defense, um, especially since you've been doing this, you know, kind of full-time since 2017. Uh, but you started doing some kind of, uh, martial arts in 2006. Where did that come in with parenting? How are you instructing your children in the way as you're learning, as you're doing these after action reports daily? So it was actually my son that got me into martial arts, got me into self-defense in general. Wow. Um, we were homeschooling when he was little and, and he's like four years old, Papa, 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 come take karate with me. He was taking karate as his extracurricular activity at the community center. And I was like, dude, I'm in seminary. I'm working full time. I'm way too busy. And he says, well, what about when you get out of seminary? Sure, buddy. Pat, pat, pat. You know what I mean? Go ahead and do your thing. And then um, fast forward a year and a half, I'm at my seminary graduation. I put my hood on, you know, I've got my, my collars and my board. I'm feeling good. He was sick as a dog. He had strep throat. So like he was sleeping in the pew at our graduation. We get done. I pick him up, put it on my shoulder. And he like picks up his head all sick. And he's like, Papa, I'm proud of you. Are you coming to class on Tuesday? And, wow. and I was like, oh, oh, okay. I guess I am. So I was just planning on doing it for six months. Just so then that way, you know, he and I had something to do that we had in common. And then 14 years later, I'm still doing it. He's not anymore, but I am. Yeah. Uh, he trained for 10 years until he um, started uh, getting really way too busy in high school athletics. You know, he played football and, and wrestled in high school. And then um, my three daughters all took at least three years of martial arts at our school. And um, basically they were required to do three years. Sure. And so then they at least had a foundation of uh, empty handed skills. And so I do talk with my kids all the time. Most important skill that you have is paying attention. What most people call situational awareness, That's which good. I don't think is uh, enough, quite frankly. Um, people talk about situational awareness, but really there's three awarenesses that come into paying attention. You have to start with personal awareness. Who am I? What are my vulnerabilities? What are my strengths? What are my abilities? Um, and everything in me, on me and around me. And then, uh, then I have to have, uh, environmental awareness. What, what environment am I in? You know, I'm sitting here in my office right now. Uh, my dogs are guarding the front door and if something weird goes down, they'll let me know way ahead of time. So my environment is a very safe environment. So I can put headphones in and sit and pay attention to you. Um, and my kids know these things. Then once we have all those, then we have situational awareness. What situation am I in? And what does that mean in terms of what I should be doing? So I've taught my children that my children are all tool users. They all have basic foundational functional firearm skills. Uh, my son's actually quite handy with a splatter gat. Uh, he's pretty darn good with the repeating clean one. Um, and, uh, uh, but my other kids know as well and, and have all hunted. Actually, I think taking your children hunting, if you can, uh, teaches them respect for life, uh, teaches them an understanding that if I put a bead on something and I press the trigger, that thing dies. Yeah. Good and, point, man. Uh, and also teaches you the the um, emotional thing of of life and death. You know, even something as simple as a five, six, seven year old shooting a squirrel. You know, when you go, there's that squirrel, and you got to go get it, or it's going to get away. Um, is good for defensive uh, encounters because you have the, that adrenalized state. Um, and, and what people call buck fever, you know, and, and kids get buck fever over squirrels. <laughs> it's as yep. simple as that. hundred <laughs> percent. And, uh, um, even adults, I've seen adults get buck fever over, you know, stuff like that rabbits, you know, and, and, uh, so you learn those things and it's not quite the same, but it's not as different as most people think. So, uh, and my kids are tool users today. You know, my, my 14 year old, we're on home confinement right now, but she decided she wanted to go run to her high school and, and get lunch, uh, which they're giving out lunches and stuff still. 
So she's like, hey, I'm going to ride my bike. And uh, so she said to me, hey, I'm going to ride my bike to go get lunch. Yes, I have my pepper spray. Yes, I'm paying attention to the world and I'll be home soon. Good job, kiddo. Wow. <laughs> Wow. That is a parenting woman right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's not that we as parents don't want to, you know, anybody that's listening, like we don't want our, our kids to be safe and we don't, you know, by not doing this, it's just like, we don't know. We don't know where to start. You know, you can't judge yourself off of, you know, your standard, John, because you just don't know. And this is a good place to start right from the beginning, right? When admitting to yourself that you are a novice and maybe you need to go learn uh, CPR, for that, for the time that you don't want to happen, maybe you do need to learn uh, some kind of self-defense. Just a, you get a good workout and B you need to just kind of have an awareness of your body. And man, I, I, I well, and go ahead. did what you said, Ray, about, you know, okay. So you have a black belt in McMap. Okay, cool. And it's not really all that, but I'll tell you what, a black belt in McMap is better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sends an average Marine out to the fleet with at least something, some, you know, some dude, freaking jumps him and he can't use his rifle. Well, guess what? I've got something, you know, right. until my buddies show up and thankfully he's got a squad and air support, but you know, uh, and, and something is better than nothing. And I always tell folks, you know, when I started with my children, we would just play games in the car. Um, and my favorite game to play with my kids in the car, we would play license play games. And, and that would be, if you see two number threes together, you'd call out threes or, uh, you know, so if you call you see two B's together on a license plate, you call it B's and then we'd catch points. Right. And, and I just did that to make them, or if there was a, uh, you know, an out of state plate, you'd call it the state. Um, and that just made them pay attention and they just weren't sitting on their phones. You know, we'd get out of the car and we go to the store and I'd say, okay, we're going to pay attention to everybody wearing an orange shirt today. So call out points for orange shirts. And we give a prize to whoever found the most shirts, you know, orange shirts or whatever. And all that did was made my children pay attention in their world. Then we teach them to be curious about their world. And the master key to awareness and attention is curiosity. Yeah. So I, I want to hear your input on this. I, uh, pretty hard on my wife, uh, in a certain area and it has to do with, uh, boundaries and I believe that when it comes to men, if you do a really good job at kind of creating these boundaries, guys who maybe have malicious intent, they can be scared off right away, right? If you're vocal, if you're loud, if you are, um, you know, get other people to look your way, it's going to help the situation. I, mean, I don't think it's going to solve it, but help it. So for example, uh, you know, somebody's coming up to my wife at the store. She's a very attractive woman. Uh, these guys are now bugging her. You know, it's not like these guys, you know, it's, Hey, get away from me. What do you think about that with your wife? What do you think about that with your daughter? Um, what does that look like in your life? Yeah. I teach a women's self-protection, uh, one-off seminar that I don't teach like most, you know, most women's self-defense is like, you know, punches and kicks and here's how to break a grip and Kung Fu some guy. And, and that's actually statistically proven to make women more susceptible to violence actually. And I actually take an approach um, that comes from uh, the show, The Handmaid's Tale, which is kind of interesting. Mm. They said that um, most men's greatest fear is being rejected by a woman. Yes. And most women's greatest fear is being killed by a man. It's a very unequal place uh, that as a man, you can look at another man and go back up, dude, and enforce that boundary at the point of violence. Okay. That, uh, there's this thing between us. Now we, I have set a line. If you cross that line, um, I always tell people in my life, like, listen, if you put your hands on me, it's like sticking your hand in a blender. 
If you stick your hand in a blender, what's going to happen to that hand? You're going to get it back bloody and broken. Now, you don't blame the blender for that. It's not the blender's fault. You were stupid enough to put your hand in a blender. You're responsible for how it comes out. Okay, fine. But women, especially women in the church, are taught to be demure, um, are taught, quite frankly, to accept abuse, and are taught uh, and and are conditioned to de-escalate, to accept these things for fear of escalation. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that the wimp, the woman who accepts these things, probably her bigger fear is if I try to set a boundary, I may not be able to enforce that boundary mm. and, or I may not be willing to enforce that boundary. And I think some of that stems from, um, a lot of women have been taught their only instrumental value, that their value comes only as they are, um, usable by a man. And, and it's hard for a lot of women to accept their intrinsic worth as children of God, that, that they are uh, endowed with the image of God and therefore are of inestimable worth. And, and so I try to instill that in my wife, in my daughters, in all the women in my world, that you have the right to defend your boundaries. You know, and I say this to women all the time. I go, you know, if you say to the average woman, why are you going to defend yourself if a guy comes up and grabs you? And they go, I don't know. I go, how about if he grabs your child? I'll kill that guy dead. I will absolutely not. I will murder that man with everything I have. Okay, why? Because my child is worth defending. Well, God's child's worth defending too. Exactly. And you are it. And so, you know, your children deserve to have their mom. Uh, Your husband deserves his wife. Your grandchildren deserve to have their me mom. And so um, I think that's a big one. And then having the, the, the skills and the tools in order to enforce that. So, you know, my wife, for instance, is a good looking woman. And, you know, uh, to be able to say, wait a minute, I have my toolkit on me. So I have an empty handed skill set. Maybe I have a pepper spray. Maybe I even have a firearm on me or something like that, that I can defend my boundaries that I don't want to. But when some guy makes a pass at me, I could say, that's inappropriate. Don't talk to me that way. Uh, keep your eyes and your mouth to yourself. Um, well, that's, that's a threat. There's a threat there because there's always that implied or else. And of course, to another man, that or else is, or I'm going to do physical harm to you. There's that implied thing, right? Now, I'm not saying, hey, watch your mouth, buddy, or I'm going to punch you in the mouth. Uh, because, of course, that's not social decorum. We don't, we, we don't do that in a civilized society. But there is that thing. When I set a boundary, when I say, hey, back up to a guy who's panhandling, hey, that's close enough, man. Uh, I, I am at the end of the day saying, or I will enforce that physically. Yeah. So she has to be able to do that and willing to do that. And so um, helping a woman to get to that place where she feels competent and confident to defend her physical boundaries and her emotional boundaries, I think is, is very important. I'm thinking back to, you know, my wife's abilities and desires. I, I think a lot of what John just said that she puts a lot of value, not just her, but like in general, you know, a, a wife or mom will put more value on her kids than she does on herself because maybe there is that identity crisis of not knowing, you know, someone's self-worth. I think that's huge. I think even as young men, you know, a lot of times young men do things because they don't know what their worth is. You know, we're out there trying to, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, get the next layer or whatever, because that's where you find value. That's where you find worth. That's where your buddy's like, yeah, man, good job. But the reality is when you know what you're worth, you know what you're worth protecting. You know what's worth defending yourself. It's worth defending yourself against against people's attacks. It's also worth defending yourself against, you know, 
different things that may not actually be good for your soul, good for your body, good for your spirit long term. And so I think that uh, having that sense of self-worth is crucial in what we've been talking about. That's really good. Kyle, you got any uh, questions that you want to throw out there? Yeah. Um, actually, I've got a couple. So we're talking about, you know, this channel is really geared for young men. And obviously, uh, young men have passion. Now, you've taken something you have a passion for, John, and you've turned it into a successful business, a successful lifestyle. So what would you say to young men who are out there who might have a passion for something, but are struggling with how to take that passion and turn it into a reality? Do you have any tips or advice or anything that you would really want to give to a young man who has a passion, but doesn't know what to do with it? You know, I, I started active self-protection as a side hustle. So you don't have to start your passion as your main income source. Um, I've always, I've had a side hustle since 1997. In fact, right now I had, it's probably the first time I haven't had a side hustle in yeah, 20 some odd years. And, um, cause we've been kind of all in on ASP, but um, the funny part is, is I told my wife that I've got an itch to learn to fly an airplane and that's going to probably be my side hustle, but, um, start it as a side hustle, man. If you've got a, a passion for something, go work a full-time job and then use your off hours to, to learn to do something awesome and learn to invest in your passion. You know, um, now that's hard. It, it's because especially if you are you know, in your twenties or thirties, I got married at 19 years old. My wife and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage this year. And Thank you very much. Uh, we got married before I knew Jesus. So we did an awful lot wrong and yet the Lord has redeemed it all. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, I, I say to folks all the time, listen, man, by the time you get home from work in a 40, 50 hour work week, and then invest in your wife, invest in your kids, you know, do the things that you want to do then, uh, that you should do now, then you've got a choice. Okay. You probably have a couple of hours at most where you can veg out, where you can, um, you know, hang out with friends or play softball or whatever. You know what I mean? Like watch some TV or a video game. And, and I get guys to do that. And I do that some too. Um, but for a while, man, take those couple hours and invest in the thing that you're passionate about and learn to be great at it. I have a good friend. Uh, he's part of our house church and uh, he's invested a ton of time in those hours in uh, building a rally car. And he took a, a bought a crappy VW bug and just started watching YouTube videos and, and investing his spare money and his spare time in building this car. And it is super cool. And it's taken him two years to build it. And it's two years of an hour here, an hour there, you know, a couple hours on the weekends, an hour at night, this and the other thing. And uh, I think if you, if you invest that time, then, then you can bring your passion to fruition. But if you don't invest time, if you don't make the donuts, man, you're just not going to have any results. That's awesome. That's really good. Because as I say a lot on this channel, our generation has had a problem with instant gratification. And so a lot of times we get discouraged with this idea of, well, I'm not seeing the results. So therefore my passion is fruitless. Uh, let me just throw it to the side. And you're saying, you know, with that, with that Volkswagen car, it took years and a lot of, you know, resources. So people say this on my YouTube channel, right? Gosh, John, you kind of came out of nowhere, man. Like you had this, you know, overnight success on YouTube. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, man. It was just, uh, you know, so they said, what's the key to that kind of overnight success? I said, nine years of hard work is right. what that is. So I worked for the first five years for free. The first five years of active self-protection was me going to martial arts class, taking firearms classes, gaining competence, teaching occasionally, 
doing little things. And then I started making little tiny bits of money after five years, I'd make a hundred bucks or I'd make 50 bucks. Um, I'll never forget my first firearms class as an instructor. I made a hundred dollars at, and I was stoked. Um, and I went and bought a gun with it. And I have that gun in my safe right now. It's a, a Mosin McGon 9130 for 1943 tulip made for any real geeks of gunnery, right? Yeah. Um, it's terrible trigger on that gun. You start pulling it on Tuesday, the gun goes off about Friday afternoon. <laughs> and uh, it's just a terrible shooting gun, but super cool history. And uh, I'll never sell it. It's it's the monument to my very first class. And, um, you know, we, we, by hook or by crook, man, just went after it. And it wasn't until 2016 that the YouTube channel really started humming. And the end of 16, that it, it started making enough money that I could do anything with it. So it was six years of, of daily work for me to get there. So don't expect it to come overnight. Yeah, that was a really good question, uh, Kyle, and, and great response, John. We look up to uh, Mattis in the Marine Corps so much. And uh, one of the things that... Did you read his uh, autobiography? Chaos? Not yet. Not yet. Um, Dude, you've got to read I, it. Really? It's that good? It was... It was that good, mind-bogglingly good. His his discussion of executive leadership and uh, you know personal leadership, executive leadership, and strategic leadership was just mind blowing. Okay, me. one of my favorite books of 2019. Absolute read. Good. Thanks for the thanks for the tip. I'm actually on his reading list. He put out a reading list while he was sec def, and uh, I'm reading the personal memoir of. Uh, it's a guy Ulysses Grant right now. So I, I will get to that one, but. Um, one of the things that he was caught doing, you know, he was uh, kind of just talking to somebody and somebody came up to him, needed him to make a timely decision. He turned over and he said, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And they asked, well, how did you just come up with that scenario with that with the response to that scenario so quickly? How did that just take, you know, 20 seconds? He's like, no, no, no. That took 20 years of yes. reading and of experience to make that, to, to make that decision in 20 seconds. And so I, I want to just encourage my, my listeners. Hey guys, if you are a reader, you're going to be a leader. And if you want to be a leader, you got to be a reader. So what do you think, John? Uh, I mean, Mattis, Mattis's quote is one of my favorite on that, you know, is that nobody has enough experience to uh, be sufficient to the task. And so if you're not reading literally hundreds of books, then you are functionally illiterate and the people in your care will be suffering for that. Fun fact, you know where his call sign chaos comes from? No, hit it. When he was a brigade commander, his XO had a, a, a constant saying that the colonel has another outstanding suggestion and colonel has another outstanding suggestion is chaos. chaos. So go. that's where his name came from. <laughs> of course. Of course. You know, you said that about reading and I just want to validate that video, especially how you're doing them, John, does just that. If you get onto ASP, you are now learning all of these different scenarios that people had got, had to go through that they paid their blood, they paid for with blood. You get to do that. That with just a seven minute video, sometimes even shorter than that. And so, I, I mean, that's a, a, just a great concept and understanding like, okay, we can draw from other people's experiences. Without the risk, no less. Yeah, you know, uh, those people all learn those lessons at risk of their life. And some of them paid with their life for the lessons. And, and yet we can learn those lessons without the risk. Why would we not? Yeah. So I want to bring this home a little bit, just maybe to the, to the church front, uh, you know, self-protection is something that is near and dear to the people of my church because they don't want to be one of those victimized churches, uh, especially as we have seen here in the last couple of years. Now I, I want to hear Kyle, if you have any questions on this and, and John, your input, like what, where are we and where should we be as a church? Kyle, did do you have anything? 
Yeah. So, you know, actually because of watching your channel, John, um, I've spoken with my pastor and uh, our associate pastor, who is also a former Navy, um, his son's a Marine, so he really gets it. But I've been speaking to him about church safety. You know, what does it look like if we have an active shooter? What does it look like if there's a, a natural disaster? Uh, really putting a safety plan in place. But one of the questions that keeps coming up that is really kind of specific to something that you touched on a few months ago uh, with that Texas shooting. Um, how do you identify if there's somebody, it's starting to get a little like nitty gritty with actual specific scenarios, but you know, as somebody who's putting in place a safety program, whether it be at church or in our homes or with our families, uh, how do you identify somebody who has been known to the congregation, known to the ushers, who didn't pose a threat that then all of a sudden becomes a threat? You know, what switches in your mind to understand that, hey, this was okay, but now it's not? Uh, I always tell people that the biggest thing that they have to pay attention to is their creep alarm. Okay? You have one and you absolutely know it. It's that uneasy feeling. Something's not right here. That's your subconscious mind screaming at you. Okay. That's, that's your subconscious brain piecing information together that you have not identified yet saying this is off, you know, whether that's the, the, the way that his eyes are, his body language, something has keyed you off. Uh, never ignore it. Never ignore your creep alarm. Um, in the the uh, West Freeway Church of Christ shooting in White Settlement, Texas, they knew. I mean, they had a camera on that guy because they knew something was wrong. And uh, they, they, you know, he come in with a fake beard and a uh, a trench coat on, and they were like, "We know this guy, and this is not right." Um, but but and, and they did a fine job. Jack Wilson did. You know, I, I mean, hitting a headshot at 15 yards on a moving target while people are dying is, I think, divinely protected marksmanship, quite frankly. Um, but maybe some things to think about in, in, we gave him a lot of room in order to perpetrate that rather than closing that distance so we could be right on top of it. So, uh, I always teach ushers, greeters, uh, pastoral staff, uh, church leaders to never ignore their creep alarm. Number one. Uh, number two, of course, uh, we have a whole uh, playlist on the Active Self Protection Extra channel on church safety. I approach church safety from a very pastoral perspective rather than from a venue security perspective because you have to understand the mission of the church first. If you don't understand the mission of the church to make disciples, then and the purpose of the gathered worship assembly within the idea of um, disciple making, then you'll do you'll you'll attempt to do things for security that are stupid that are deleterious to the mission and you don't want that. So uh, when you think about it instead as part of hospitality, then you say, wait a minute, just like if I open my door or if somebody rings on my doorbell and I look and I go, that guy makes my creep alarm go off. Oh, well, I'll just open the door. Uh, no, that's stupid, right? Uh, what would you say if it's if it's 10 o'clock at night and the doorbell rings and it's some creepy guy in a trench coat, you're not going to go, well, open the door. Hi, friend, how are you? You're going to look, you know, how's the door? Can I help you? Is everything okay back there? You're going you're gonna to do some things to keep you safe, right? So in that same vein, we say, you know, never ignore your creep alarm and also know your level of competence. So, you know, that 86-year-old lady who's handing out bulletins and she's like, hi, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here. You know, thank God. And the guy gives her the brush off and makes her creep alarm go off. Well, she's not going to kung fu that guy, right? Um, but maybe throwing up um, a, a help signal and, and saying, hey, pastor, we have a visitor that I'd like you to meet. Or you know, Hey, I need an usher to help this gentleman. You know, um, we always had, when I was pastoring, we had a code word and that code word was unique. If somebody was a unique visitor, that means they set somebody's creep alarm off. So if I was off doing something else and somebody said, came and said, Hey, pastor John, I got a unique visitor. I need you to meet. 
uh, okay, I'm on my way. And then when they introduce, pastor, this is the unique visitor that I wanted you to meet. This is Jim. Jim, this is Pastor Joan. Hi, hi, Jim. It's nice to meet you. How can I help you today? So then I knew going in, this guy had for some reason had sent somebody's creep along. Um, so I think having those plans in place and knowing whose role is what and where can help us in a lot of ways like that. And, and not just for an active killer, but of course, things like uh, if we've got custody issues, you know, that boil over or a domestic or uh, what do we do when when somebody doesn't look medically right, but we don't want to rock the boat? You know what I mean? Jim's breathing hard and looking pale. Um, you know, has he got the Rona or what? You know, and what are we going to do with that? I think those are important. Thank you so much for sharing that because, I mean, a lot of the times I think our fear there is just being wrong. And so it, just for not wanting to be wrong about somebody and not wanting to cast a judgment, we might say something like, oh, I mean, yeah, I kind of felt something, but no, I don't know. And I tell this to my wife. She's got a very discerning spirit. And I'm like, hey, if you feel something, you need to stop brushing it off. You need to stop telling yourself it's just you. You, you Most of the time, more than 80% of the time, there's always been something. Uh, so well, just, and that goes, back, that goes back to Colonel Cooper's color codes, right? Good so point. when... When we live in color code yellow, that means we're just paying attention to our world, right? Our, our uh, radar array is up. When something is out of place, we don't go, that's weird and ignore it. Then we move to condition orange. Condition orange is not, you know, go time. Condition orange is investigate time. Condition orange is something's out of place. Now that could be, I'm sitting here in my house and all of a sudden something's burning. That's out of place. Now I'm in condition orange. It's time to investigate. That burning could be one of my kids making toast, but it could be a bad electrical wire about to burn my house down. Yeah. I better go find out now, right? Before it's condition red and my house is on fire. So um, I always teach my family, look, that's condition orange. Something's wrong. And just saying something's wrong. Or if they don't feel like doing it themselves, dad, something's wrong. My creep alarm's going off. Yeah. Okay. Tell me what's going on. Tell me why he makes me feel weird. Okay. I got you. I'm going to stay there. Don't worry about it. You know? Um, and, and always rewarding my family when they obey their creep alarm. Hey, why'd you do that? That guy set my creep alarm off and I just didn't want to be there. High fives and, you know, special treats for everybody. Cause we obeyed our creep alarm. Yeah. That's good, man. You know what, uh, John, I want to be really mindful of your time. I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I would be amiss if I didn't ask you these three basic, um, totally, uh, easy questions to answer that everybody can agree on on the internet. And, uh, oh I, wanna, I just want to get your opinion on them. All right. Nine millimeter or 45. Uh, I don't care what you shoot. Like, that's fine. Whatever you want to do is good for me. Um, for me and for mine, nine millimeter works great. And, uh, my last time that I surveyed firearms carriers, about 85% carried nine millimeter. So the caliber wars are pretty much dead. Very well. All right. <laughs> the correct the correct answer FYI is 40 cal. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I mean the worst of all worlds. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. We got a commie in the, in the chat. Uh, <laughs> so best handgun for concealment. Um, uh, so I always tell people, why do you carry a handgun? You carry a handgun because you might need to use it, not because you need to conceal it. So carry the biggest handgun you reasonably can, specifically, in a, wow. especially at church on that day, especially in a church environment, your shots are going to open up. You're going to have a a lot longer shot to hit. So that little LCP is going to suck when you got to shoot it at 25 yards. Right. <clears throat> so, um, uh, full disclosure, I am a brand ambassador for HK. So I would be remiss if I didn't okay. say that my crowd space magic is my preferred gun. Um, I carry an HK P30, uh, with a limb trigger and a red dot on it all day, air day. Very well. And 
Uh, I love that gun, but really, I think um, asking people what gun is the best, like asking what shoes are the best, right. depends on you in a lot of ways. Are you there hiking? Are you running? So many good choices today. Yeah, and what are you going to do with that or right. whatever? So you know, somebody's like, I, I just would tell people if you can, if if possible, invest into that mid grade tier. You know, uh, that Glock, Smith and Wesson, HK, uh, Six Sour that tier, you know, if you, wow, you didn't say uh, any Springfield there. That's weird. Uh, I, well, okay. So if you're going to go Springfield, <laughs> I would go 1911 TRP. Quite okay. frankly, uh, I'm not a fan of the Springfield XD. They fail in class a lot more often than okay. other guns. Um, I mean, for most people that are only going to shoot it a couple hundred rounds in his lifetime, it'll probably be fine, but I see him fail an awful lot and under stress that grip safety on the original XD is just not good. Dang it. That's what so, I carry. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about you, right? Yeah, exactly. I'll give you a second. It's, if you've got a big hand, it probably doesn't, but I see people when we put them on the clock that they fail um, uh, to get the grip safety depressed. And when they get to fail to get the grip safety depressed, the gun is turned into a paperweight until you adjust your grip. So, uh, and, and when somebody's trying to kill you, you're going to hurry to get that gun out. Right. So, um, I, I would rather they invest into that tier if they can, than buy the, um, you know, try to carry like a Taurus or, um, you know, if, if they really are tight on budget, a Ruger SR nine C is not bad. Uh, Smith and Wesson SD nine VE is an okay gun. The value addition there is fine. Uh, an S and W shield cheap, you know what I mean? And, and functional, uh, but if you can get up into that, you know, 450 and up 450 to 700 tier, then you're going to get a much higher quality gun and you can run it a lot more. Awesome. Last question. How many weapons and how much ammo is enough? And I know that's a little open-ended, but I want to, but maybe let me give you two of them for home defense and for, uh, just whatever else you could think of. So I always answer this question with a quote from John Rockefeller, uh, when he was the wealthiest man on earth. And when somebody asked him, John, how much is enough? I mean, you're the wealthiest man on earth. How much money do you need? And his answer was just a little more. Just a little more. <laughs> um, I mean, enough is a very relative term, right? So, so whether we're talking about home defense or concealed carry, just having a gun is probably enough with any ammo whatsoever is probably enough. Now beyond that is, how many, you know, when I say how much handgun skill do you need? Well, it depends on what percentage of gunfights you want to be able to win. Do you want to be able to win 40%, 60%? You're already in, in a statistically unlikely event, right, of getting into a gunfight. So um, I want to be able to win 99% of gunfights. Yeah. And so I, I carry a lot of gun and I work really hard at it, um, at my skills. And, uh, you know, I shot in 2019, I shot 25,000 rounds through my handgun. Um, uh, verified. I mean, I, I train, you know what I mean? And, and, and uncle sugar wasn't buying my ammo either. So, um, but, uh, this year I'm not going to get quite that many out. Certainly not right now with the quarantine and those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, I think that, that, um, the average person for concealed carry, if they had uh, a handgun that had a 10 or 10 round or higher capacity, and, um, they practiced with that gun and dry fired with it five minutes, three days a week and went to the range once a month and shot 50 rounds, they would be at, at, in the top 5% of capabilities of concealed carriers in America. Um, and if they did that, their home defense would be, uh, skills would be on par. Now, again, do I want, do I want a shield an SNW shield for home defense? Um, if that's all I could have, if I could only afford one gun, then I'd use my concealed carry gun for my home defense gun. Absolutely. Um, but given that, that, Portability is not as big a concern because it's going to be staged for home defense. I'd rather have a long gun 
Um, I'd rather that long gun be as highly capable as I can. So for me and for mine, um, I think either a, uh, a high quality modern uh, shotgun in 12 or 20 gauge loaded correctly. Um, the, and the correct answer in home defense shotgun is federal flight control, eight pellet double lock buck. That is the correct answer. Um, and, and that depends on your budget in terms of what one you're going to do. I mean, if, if all you can afford is a, a Mossberg 500 or a stock Remington 870, awesome. Okay. Um, I, I sure love my Vang Comp 870 with a, a red dot on it. It's the ballerest shotgun around. Yeah. If you want to step up and, and get stupid, I've got a, a, a Beretta 1301 that's customized by Ernest Langdon and LTT Elite. Nice. It's a baller shotgun. <laughs> um, you know, so a shotgun's a heck of a fight stopper or, uh, you know, an AR pattern rifle is ubiquitous in America. Uh, it's the most popular rifle in America by a long shot for a reason. And so having an AR uh, and knowing how to use it and it go well, you can set up a, a quality AR right now for about 1200 bucks. Um, you know, a, a, something like a, a, a BCM or something. Of course, uh, uh, we're brand ambassadors for Lone Star Armory and, and LSA Carbine is a, a fantastic tool. There you go. Um, but a gun with a red dot and uh, a white light on it for home defense, simple and, and amazing. 